Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On the program tonight, the House of Commons is poised to pass a motion forcing the government to disclose thousands of pages of documents on its COVID-19 response. We'll hear from the Health Minister, Patty Haidu, and she'll also address the issue of who gets those rapid COVID-19 tests as they start arriving in Canada. Our MPs panel will discuss the continuing tensions over the lobster fishery in Nova Scotia and the calls for the RCMP commissioner to resign. And our journalist panel will weigh in on whether the Team Canada approach to fighting the pandemic has turned into politics as usual in the House of Commons. Well, we start with one of the crucial tools in fighting COVID-19, rapid testing. The federal government has ordered millions of rapid tests, which can deliver results in 15 to 20 minutes. The first shipment of 100,000 tests arrived in Canada this week, and all of them were delivered to Ontario. Quebec Premier Francois Legault today raised questions and concerns about that decision, given how hard hit his province has been. Federal Procurement Minister Anita Anan was asked about the issue at a federal briefing today. We are going to have 2.4 million more ID Now tests to be delivered before the end of the year. More than 200,000 Abbott PanBio test kits arrived this week and are being distributed as we speak directly to provinces and territories with more on the way. And 8.3 million more PanBio tests will be delivered by the end of the year. Joining me now is the Federal Health Minister, Patty Haidu. Minister Haidu, uh, joining us from Th- Thunder Bay, thanks for taking time. Nice to talk with you again, Martin. Okay, there's two big subjects I want to get to this week. One of them is uh, is the, the motion that's going to be voted on on Monday. But first, let's talk about what's coming up today. And this is a, a bit of a, a dispute about rapid tests which are starting to arrive in the country. Uh, we know that the government's ordered millions of them. The first shipment of 100,000 arrived uh, last weekend or early this week. Uh, but all 100,000 of those rapid 15-minute tests have gone to Ontario. Uh, Francois Legault, the Premier of Quebec, is not happy about that. Um, On what basis are these decisions being made about where these tests go? So these are decisions that are worked out through the uh, various technical and special advisory uh, tables, as as well as with the deputy health ministers with all provinces and territories. Um, As the premier knows, there will be tests arriving in Quebec next week. Um, And in fact, uh, we've been there supporting provinces and territories through shared agreements all along. In fact, uh, all of the work that we've done has been through collaboration and agreements that uh, really kind of clearly underline principles that that uh, ensure that people get what they need per capita and that the federal government is able to hold back a small amount in reserve, whether we're, whether we're talking about tests or PPE, so that we can respond to areas of critical need. So um, the next ones would go to Quebec. Quebec could expect them for when next week? I don't have the sh- I don't have the delivery schedule, uh, you know, memorized, Martin. But all this to say that provinces and territories are active participants in the delivery schedule. Uh, of course, we've worked with all the provinces and territories to make sure that they have uh, what they need from a surplus perspective as well, a surge perspective. Uh, I'll just point to the rapid response program where uh, provinces and territories can ask for assistance, and we're able to deliver additional supports, including testing 
testing capacity, uh, contact tracers, uh, supports in long-term care homes, and we've continued to do that. But I just want to thank the provinces and territories for working out these agreements that really help ensure that the product gets to the right place at the right time. Okay, so just in a nutshell, the priority, uh, the, the factors that make priority, who, who are the priority groups who are going to receive these tests or where will they be used? Um, so th again, provincially determined. I think it's really important that people remember that healthcare is uh, primarily in the jurisdiction of provinces and territories to deliver. So the federal government is not telling provinces and territories how to distribute testing, how to distribute PPE, but rather facilitating the acquisition of these goods and then allowing provinces and territories within their jurisdictional rights to be able to determine how to use them. But typically, what I would say is rapid tests have been used in populations where people are symptomatic, uh, where there are congregate living settings like long-term care homes, uh, you know, sometimes in uh, populations like remote and rural communities. Uh, those can be really uh, uh, great places to put a rapid testing capacity in place so that you can very quickly determine if someone who is symptomatic, in fact, is sick with COVID or with something else. Okay, now let's get to, and this will come up as well, it's connected, it's been one of the issues that's been raised in the House of Commons every day in question period. Uh, and we saw yesterday the tabling of the Conservative motion. Uh, I just want to confirm you with you before we go any further. The motion that's going to be voted on on Monday is still is not a confidence motion. This motion to produce documents concerning the government's COVID-19 response it is still not going to be a confidence motion as we speak. I don't have determination over which votes are confidence and uh, motions or not. That's within the purview of the Prime Minister and the House Leader. But, uh, you know, listen, I've been clear with the House Leader that uh, Health Canada and the Public Health Agency of Canada can comply with the motion if it's reasonable and if the length of time that's within the motion to produce those documents is within a reasonable time frame. My concern has always been as a health minister, I don't want to pull people off of the response to COVID-19 to produce documents in an extraordinarily short period of time. Let's not forget we're talking about thousands and thousands of documents and I think Canadians expect us, uh, obviously besides being transparent with Canadians, to keep focused on the kinds of activities that are working to support provinces and territories like we just talked about, for example, uh, approving and procuring tests. So for you, I mean, but, but just to be clear, so far to date, we haven't had any indication that this is going to be a confidence motion. All of the indication from the PMO and, and your colleagues has been that this will not be a confidence motion. So for you, the issue is negotiating the time frame. It's not a question of what documents would be made available. Uh, no, listen, I think, you know, obviously there are some documents that are sensitive. There are procurement uh, contracts that are in place that require a certain degree of confidentiality. And I know my colleague, Minister, the Minister of Procurement, is working on that issue as we speak. But the intent, from my perspective, is to be fully transparent, as we have been, Martin, all along. I think, you know, the piece of the motion that I would just say uh, implies that there's been a, a lack of transparency is completely incorrect. I mean, we've appeared in front of uh, the health committee numbers of times. Me, myself, uh, you know, have, I've gone uh, at least two or three times in front of the health committee, Dr. Tam, Dr. New, many other officials. Uh, we've produced documents. We've provided uh, updates to the health committee and other committees as they're relevant. And we'll continue to do that. Uh, again, the concern I had with the motion as it was written was this very short 
period of time to be able to produce thousands and thousands of documents. As in fact, my colleague, the member opposite to the sponsor of the motion yesterday, implied that uh, you know I should pull people off of other duties to put them into uh, you know information officer types of roles in order to achieve that goal. And I would disagree with her. I would say that Canadians would expect that we uh, produce obviously the documents requested, but that we also stay focused on what matters most to them, which is making sure that their health systems have the supports they need so they can stay healthy and free of COVID-19. So you foresee, though, being able to, when the House passes this, because it's going to be voted in favour of by the NDP, the Bloc and the Conservatives, uh, when the House passes this motion, you are, you are confident that you will be able to uh, comply or to respond to this request for documentation? Listen, should the House pass the motion, and you know, I never presume what the House will do until the House has voted, but should the House pass the motion, absolutely, we'll do uh, the work that's necessary in order to produce documents for the HESA committee so they can study the response to date. Uh, and I will take the member at her word that what the intent of that study is, is to inform the government's next steps and to provide recommendations to the government. So I look forward to that work with, uh, with the HESA committee. Uh, and again, uh, I remain focused on making sure that both departments have the resources and their resources trained in the right space so that they can make sure we protect Canadians from COVID-19. Okay, Minister Haidu, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you very much, Martin. This week started with heightened tensions surrounding the indigenous lobster fishery in southwest Nova Scotia after violent incidents and after an indigenous lobster storehouse was burnt to the ground. Ottawa has promised a sustainable fishery for both indigenous and non-indigenous commercial fishermen and the RCMP has increased its presence in the region. Yesterday, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky defended her force's actions, but today the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Bellegarde, called for her resignation. Here's how the Prime Minister responded today. The responsibility of the RCMP uh, is to keep Canadians safe. Um, we have uh, uh, seen uh, some challenges in Nova Scotia, uh, not just recently, but uh, uh, over the past uh, many months with the terrible tragedy uh, in uh, how the RCMP has uh, been able to deliver. But at the same time, uh, they continue uh, to serve Canadians day in, day out, right across the country. Uh, I've heard concerns uh, from many Canadians uh, about uh, the functioning of our national police force. We'll continue to listen to Canadians and work with uh, the chief uh, in terms of the commissioner uh, in terms of making sure that we continue to keep Canadians safe. I'm joined now by three MPs from the different parties. Arif Varani is a Liberal MP for the Toronto riding of Parkdale High Park, and he's a Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Justice. Richard Bragdon is a Conservative MP for the New Brunswick riding of Tobik Maktaquak, and he's also Vice Chair of the Commons Fisheries Committee. And Gord Johns is the NDP member for the BC riding of Courtney Alberni, and he's his party's Economic Development, uh, Crown Indigenous Relations and Fisheries critic. All three of you, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having Thank us. Can we start with Arif uh, Arani? Can we start with the news that's breaking today? And that is the, this, this call by the uh, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Bellegarde, call for Brenda Lucky, the Commissioner of the RCMP, to step down. Um, what do you make of it? Uh, how, should, how should the government and how should the, the Commissioner respond? 
Well, I think there's a lot of frustration out there, and that frustration is understandable. Obviously, uh, Mr. Bellegarde and uh, the various other uh, Indigenous leaders around the country have every right to express their views and their disappointment in the way the situation has been handled. I think the most glaring thing that this tells me is that, uh, as you've heard the Prime Minister say, systemic racism is not a phenomenon that's unique or the purview of one particular area of Canadian society or one particular institution. It pervades every institution in every area, including law enforcement. The RCMP has to come to terms with that, and that's something that uh, needs to be addressed because the situation has had a number of defects, including uh, the issue with how responsive the, uh, the uh, law enforcement presence has oh. been in that area in terms of protecting Indigenous rights. Okay, but that doesn't sound like a rousing endorsement of the uh, law enforcement presence. Uh, your colleague Mark Miller, the, the Minister of Indigenous Services, said that uh, law enforcement had failed the Indigenous people in the region. You're now saying it's not surprising. That doesn't sound like a, round, a rounding endorsement of uh, the so Minister Miller is expressing some frustration, and I'll say that there are members of Parliament on all sides of the House that are, are, have expressed some frustration about what's transpired and thinking about the fact that people are trying to exercise a constitutionally protected right. There are concerns uh, uh, being expressed by uh, fishers on both sides of the ledger. Those need to be reconciled, but fundamentally we need to have no violence taking place. We need to have no racial incidents and racism taking place and it is the role of law enforcement including the RCMP to ensure that people are protected and when there's cases of alleged arson and people being attacked and assaulted that is a problem and that is a concern and that's what's fueling the calls that we're hearing from people like Mr. Belgard. Okay Richard Bragdon you are in the region uh, just across the water from that uh, that in area you're no doubt attuned to the tensions that are there now what do you make of all of this? Absolutely, uh, Martin, and we have huge concerns in regards to the fact that the minister and this government have been missing in action from the beginning of this uh, situation, and the fact that we're at this point today and it's reached this crisis level is because for five years this government has been absent. They have not been proactive in their approach, and we're now into a reactive stage, and things have escalated to this point. So it really comes back on the responsibility of this government should be at the table actively making sure that all parties are there and community stakeholders are part of this process to get this peacefully resolved as quickly as possible. What about when she I, says I, that she has been actively involved in negotiations, but she doesn't want to do those negotiations in public? She says they're ongoing and they're, 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 showing, they're showing positive results. Well, it, the minister's saying that now, but for weeks we call, we've been calling for the minister to get on the ground and be here, get into Nova Scotia, and be meeting actively with all key stakeholders. I mean, sometimes there may be a call made here or there. Uh, I don't know all the inside specifics as to what kind of calls are being made or, or, or the specifics of those calls, but I do feel that the engagement has been very limited and if it is starting to get underway now or with much more urgency, good. But she should have been here long ago. And getting the right people in the room at the right time, as the Liberal Premier of Nova Scotia has been saying that the response so far has been totally inadequate and we're in this situation because of the delay. Okay, in a word, should the RCMP Commissioner, I want to get to Gord Johns, but should the RCMP Commissioner, Brenda Lucky, should she resign? Well, again, that's for, for the Prime Minister to decide. He appointed the, this particular individual as, as the Commissioner. I mean, that is for this government to determine who serves in that position and, and for them to make that determination. This falls back onto the Minister and the Prime Minister and the Minister of Public Safety, okay. who have allowed this to get to this stage. Okay, Gord Johns, I want to get your view on this. Watching this all, a call for the resignation of the head of the RCMP, uh, violence, but also now a beefed up 
police presence. The minister says she is working on a negotiated settlement that will please everyone. Well, let's let's face it, all Canadians and Indigenous people across Canada deserve and have a right to be safe and to be protected. When it comes to what happened at Sebag and I, at Negaty, um, for weeks we had been identifying and standing in solidarity with Chief Sack and calling for more RCMP as they were facing threats of violence. And e eventually it came to a peak when the lobster pound was burned, when people were barricaded in, threatened, their lives were threatened, uh, there was destruction of property, cuts were trapped, uh, I mean, traps were cut, uh, and the RCMP stood idle, no enforcement. Yet you see at the Six Nations, they're shooting rubber bullets. We've had months of unrest across the country. The commissioner has cited that she doesn't understand and, and see that there's systemic racism in the RCMP. She's lost trust in, in her minister, as you can clearly hear from Mark Miller. Uh, but at the same time, it's not just about the RCMP commissioner. It's my, much higher than that. The cabinet and the Liberal government has sat idle while the RCMP and policing have failed to protect Indigenous people. And they've had a contrasting approach. Like I said, they sat idle uh, and watched uh, things unfold without bringing in reinforcements, knowing full well that lives could be lost uh, in Nova Scotia. And here they are uh, bringing you know, military-style uh, enforcement whenever Indigenous people are, you know, standing up for their rights or demonstrating and or getting shot at with rubber bullets. It's unacceptable. Okay, I and want to... so I support, EF, I, I do support the AFN. Okay, we only have literally less than three minutes and I want to get just a short answer on this last question. Uh, and I'll start with the government representative on the panel, uh, Arif Arani. What do you say to Canadians when they look at what happened this week? We came within a hair's breadth of seeing the government fall. The government, the Prime Minister, called a, a confidence vote on this Conservative motion to create an anti-corruption committee and to look further into the we controversy. Uh, as it turned out, the government survived. It was a vote of confidence. We now have another motion that will be voted on on Monday, and it's not a confidence motion. And uh, the majority of people, uh, the parties uh, and MPs are probably going to vote for it. Uh, Arif Rani, how do you describe to Canadians what happened? We came so close on a confidence motion, and on Monday we'll have a, another motion, which many people say is similar, and it's not a confidence motion. How do you explain that to Canadians? So I explained it simply in this manner, that if you attempt to pass a motion that would paralyze government and uh, render government unable to address the critical needs of Canadians during a pandemic, which is their health and their economic needs, then what you're doing is saying as opposition parties, were they to have passed that motion, that you don't have confidence in the Liberal Party's ability to govern. Thankfully, a majority of parliamentarians with more than one party support uh, elected to show confidence in our ability just to handle the pandemic and address the needs okay. of healthcare needs and the economic needs of Canadians. Richard, That's Richard, the qualitative okay. difference between these two motions. We're running out of time. Richard Bragdon, what do you make of it? How do you explain to people when you go back to your writing uh, one confidence motion and another not a confidence motion? Well, I, again, this is a government that is avoiding responsibility and accountability. They prorogued the House when they didn't need to. Uh, they did it because they didn't want, uh, you know, scrutiny on some really in-depth scandals that needed to have a clear eye and, and opposition be able to play its role in holding the government to account and making sure the taxpayers' dollars are being respected. And this government totally avoided that. They prorogued the House, then they come back, and when we tried to have accountability through the Finance Committee or through the Essex Committee, they, they, they delayed and they... 
they stalled and they advocated on that. Then, of course, we came up with another committee that would, would try and look into this so that Canadians could get answers to the questions that they have about these scandalous things. And then they threatened to bring their own government down based on that. I, I find that deeply troubling, and I feel many Canadians have grave concerns about this approach of brinkmanship by the government. Okay, Gord Johns, just in a few seconds, what do you make of the, the difference between uh, the uh, Wednesday vote and what vote you're going to have on Monday? Well, well, the fact is that they, they made this a confidence vote, and it shows how disconnected they are. We're heading into the second wave of the pandemic. There are six red zones in this country. Bringing, sending people to the polls would be completely irresponsible. They promised small businesses that they're going to fix their flawed commercial rent program, extend the wage subsidy, help for seniors, all these things that they're promising to bring forward in the coming days, yet they were willing to send us to the polls and delay those supports for months. And, you know, instead of, uh, you know, helping Canadians right now, they prorogue Parliament, they're filibustering at committee, the Conservatives are just trying to score points, and right now, we're focused completely on helping Canadians get the help they need. And that's what people need right now. They need support during this really difficult time. Okay, uh, to all three of you, I want to thank you for, the, for taking your time. And uh, we'll watch that vote on Monday. The non, it's not a confidence vote. We'll watch that vote with, with great interest. Thanks for speaking with us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, thank everyone. Well, joining me now to take a look at what kind of a week it's been in federal politics with confidence votes in a near election and the growing impact of the coronavirus's Third, second wave. I'm joined by three journalists. Mia Rapson is a national political reporter for the Canadian Press. Christy Kirkup is a reporter for the Globe and Mail. And Negan Sinclair is a professor and a columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press. All three of you, thanks for joining me. Hello. Um, let's start with it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to open, the, open the, the microphone to the three of you. It has been quite a week, uh, a week where we saw a confidence vote and people were getting ready for the possibility of the government falling and, and a snap election. Uh, reflections on what we saw this week. Uh, I'll start with you, Mia. Uh, yeah, well, you know, politics is back on Parliament Hill, surprisingly. I mean, when you have politicians, they like to do politics. And uh, we saw that in full display this week. Um, I think there was some relief among some that there wasn't an election. I think others really wanted to go to an election and maybe put this brinkmanship behind us because I don't think this is the last we're going to see of it. Um, and by the time the vote happened uh, on, uh, on Wednesday, we were it was pretty clear what was going to be the result. But there was definitely more tension around this vote than there was around the throne speech and how that would go. Uh, and uh, it definitely uh, that camaraderie that might have existed back in, in April uh, when the pandemic was first starting has definitely dissipated at this point. Mm -hmm. Christy, does it, uh, as Mia suggests, is this the natural result, uh, be it a few weeks later, of a full House of Commons being back with all the full powers of a House of Commons in a minority parliament? <laughs> Yeah, I think that, you know, this is reflective of the fact that, of course, uh, minority parliaments, all the political parties are always uh, in um, election uh, readiness mode. They have to be because they never know when that moment is going to happen and Canadians will have to go back to the polls. I have to say, though, and I know this is a bit of a, a straw poll analysis, but, you know, talking to people in my neighborhood, talking to people I know, they're worried about one thing, and that's the pandemic, when their life is going to go back to normal, when there's going to be a vaccine available. Um, and, you know, we're going into what is going to be, um, you know, not to be incredibly depressing, but it's going to be a tough winter. And we see the cases indicating as much. And so this was a moment where I think all the political parties, as they were kind of looking ahead at that 
prospect of an election. I don't think that Canadians really wanted to think about an election because, frankly, they've had enough this year. So, um, you know, I think everyone uh, was able to breathe a collective sigh of relief that this wasn't the moment. But I think, you know, everyone, again, is getting game ready because um, maybe it will be, uh, you know, that hopefully not this winter, maybe into the, the spring, um, but it's around the corner for sure. And again, I know the net last time we spoke with you, you were really um, eloquent in painting the portrait of getting out of the Ottawa bubble, uh, sitting there in Manitoba and in Winnipeg. I mean, you have the highest per capita rates of COVID in the country. Uh, how, did, how is this playing out there? I mean, when people watch the kind of what happened on Wednesday, the vote that could have brought the government down, uh, your reflections on it? Well, I mean, this week, I think what you really saw is you saw the first week of Aaron O'Toole as the Conservative leader and kind of the approach he's going to take. And the approach that he took this week is really very much overplaying his hand and pushing the government to a, a position in which they really had to do a confidence vote. And you also saw uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh as going with the government, kind of, even though they had asked for changes, uh, not getting them done. And so it's kind of, a, I think, a, a loss for, for Jagmeet Singh and for Aaron O'Toole this week. However, um, I don't think people are paying a lot of attention to the drama in Ottawa because of the pandemic, but also this incredible uh, cacophony of issues involving Indigenous peoples across the country. Yeah. Only about an hour ago, a couple hours ago, uh, we heard about the boil water advisories in Neskintaga and uh, the emergency situation. People are finding oil or uh, slicks or, or t contamination in the water there, an emergency situation. And then not only do we have an issue with treaty rights in Nova Scotia, but now we have an issue of boil water adv advisories, which of course the Trudeau government has promised to fix, has now said they won't fix, uh, probably in this minority parliament. And now we've got this ongoing issue that's continuing uh, around racism in the country and Indigenous peoples continuing over and over again to experience the brunt of that systemic racism in institutions across the country. So we've got a real, you know, a week in which kind of it's the same old, but it's a political drama that I don't think people are paying as much attention to because of the concerns within their own lives. Mm -hmm. I'll ask a speculative question, Mia, maybe with you. Uh, one of the things that came out of the vote on Wednesday was that six Conservative MPs didn't turn out for that vote, which meant that the Conservatives themselves probably, in case the NDP abstained, this is, I know, inside the Beltway, but it almost looks as if the Conservatives were making it such that they were not going to cause uh, the government to fall as well. It looks as if everyone, in their own way, was avoiding uh, an election. Maybe, although there are some who have pointed out a few times that perhaps the party and the only party that really wanted an election right now was the one who really triggered this, which was the Liberals. Yeah. You know, they were the ones who turned this into a confidence motion um, based on their own filibustering that left the Conservatives sort of saying, well, we're, if you're not going to let us do it in this committee, we'll try and create another committee and sort of show you that you are in a minority parliament. So the Liberals didn't seem to be afraid of an election. Obviously, they voted against it, but they really did not seem to be afraid to go to the polls. Most of the other parties really didn't seem to want to. Okay, and, uh, and, Chris, and Chrissy, I know you filed today, because uh, Negan refers to what's going on in terms of other issues. You filed on one of those other issues, and that is the, uh, the uh, Assembly First Nations, uh, Perry Belgard, the chief, of the national chief, asking for the RCMP commissioner's resignation uh, because of the handling of the uh, Nova Scotia uh, lobster and indigenous lobster fishery issue. So you've got that as well. 
Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, the AFN National Chief is really joining uh, a chorus of uh, Indigenous leaders who have been calling out, calling for the commissioner to resign. Specifically, she had a news conference this week uh, where she was asked specifically about how RCMP officers on the ground in Nova Scotia responded to uh, violence and intimidation towards Mi'kmaq. And uh, she did not address the criticism at all. Not a word. I specifically asked her about that. And so that uh, is why there have been these renewed calls for her resignation. You'll recall that back in the spring, she also was facing calls to resign over issues she had around the application of the term systemic racism in the RCMP. At that time, the Prime Minister stood beside her um, and said that, you know, he, he would work with her and the RCMP on reforms. And she also put out a subsequent statement on the mm -hmm. existence of systemic racism in the force. Now, um, also, so the Indigenous Services Minister did an interview um, uh, with The Globe where he um, he said he was in disagreement with the RCMP commissioner's assessment of the yeah. situation on the ground. And there have been comments, again, that her comments defending the officers really flies in the face of concrete evidence. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a story to watch for. Um, what will the Prime Minister do? Um, will he remove uh, the RCMP commissioner? Because those calls, again, are growing louder and louder for her to be uh, taken out. She's been in place since March 2018. Um, will the Prime Minister stand by her this time? Okay, last a few seconds. We only have about 10, 20 seconds left. And again, what are you going to be watching for over the next week? Another, well, obviously uh, not another confidence vote. Yeah, uh, it's important to identify that there's a cacophony of people calling for the RCMP uh, commissioner's removal, but there's also a, there's also disagreement in the Liberal cabinet. I mean, yeah. Bill Blair's come out fairly in support of the RCMP commissioner, uh, even though Mark Miller, the Indigenous uh, Services Minister is criticizing. So it's a really interesting thing to watch, I think, in the Liberal cabinet of uh, some uncertainty of how to deal with this issue involving treaty rights, which frankly, Conservative and Liberal governments have failed the Mi'kmaq in this regard, all the way back to the 1999 Marshall decision. Okay, all three of you, I want to thank you. It's always a pleasure to get your uh, point, points of view on this. Thanks very much and have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching and have a great weekend.